right, well, good evening. Good evening, welcome to Refuge. Good evening, good evening. <laughs> All right, so let's open up our Bibles. We're going through uh, the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel. And uh, so this evening we're in chapter 7. We're continuing our study through the Old Testament. And uh, the... Um, the one thing, the one theme that we have um, running throughout this chapter is uh, the children of Israel coming to a, a moment of repentance before the Lord, considering their sins, confessing their sins to the Lord. And we see them in, a, in genuine repentance. And so that's, uh, that's beautiful in the eyes of the Lord for um, they have given themselves um, to the Lord in such a way that it, it demonstrates a surrendered heart. So let's pray and let's get into our study. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once more for bringing us together. Lord, for the, the one thing of studying your word, of um, Lord, having every intention to understand what we have before us. Lord, that as we, as we read, as we consider these Things, Lord, that uh, we are given greater understanding. We are taught by your Spirit. We are given understanding by your Spirit. That we would um, see you. That we would understand how much you love us and what you expect from us, Lord. Uh, that you would teach us ways in which we can glorify you and bless you. We see here faithfulness. But we also see, Lord, your faithfulness in, uh, in that moment of repentance, of humility before a holy and righteous God. Lord, you are, you are just, but you are, also, you are also merciful and full of grace. And so we are truly thankful for that. And so speak to us this evening, Father. We commit this time into your hands and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we know that Israel... Uh, was in a dark place spiritually. And, and they had been for a number of years. It, it wasn't something that just recently uh, they had stumbled a- across. They had grown complacent and uh, were in that place of uh, darkness spiritually. But they'd been in this place for quite some time. They'd been under the rule of the Philistines for uh, quite a number of years. They were defeated in two separate battles, of, as we've learned in previous chapters. And they even had the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God captured in Ebenezer. And we know from the last chapter that after the Philistines experienced sickness and death for seven whole months, the Ark of the Covenant was in their possession. Uh, They they were tired of it um, being in their possession because they came to realize that the reason why they were experiencing death and illness was because of that. And so they sent it back to the Israelites. Now, we need to understand something, though, as far as the the Israelites and their their problems. Their problems did not stem from the Philistines. Uh, They were not the the root cause of their problems, but rather it it was something else. Something else was that root cause of all their problems, their their idolatry and their pride. That's what their root problems were. You know, sometimes we see uh, some of the things that we are faced with and we 
we, we think that perhaps that person or that situation or whatever it is is, is the cause of our problems. But no, no, no. Uh, that's just uh, perhaps something that is a result of the root cause, uh, which stems from something else. And it's normally that we're putting someone or something else before the Lord. Idolatry, pride, having uh, a confidence in, in ourselves or in something else other than the Lord. And God says that he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, according to 1 Peter 5.5. 5. It's interesting because even as Christians, we can be full of pride, can't we? You know, this, uh, this verse... You know, First Peter five five, he that telling us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Uh, we can't look at this in, in that it is only applied to non-believers and not believers. Uh, God is is uh, is fair. He he doesn't uh, play favorites. When God says that, He does not make an exception for the proud Christian, but only opposes the unbelieving person who is prideful. No, God opposes the proud. Because pride is trust and faith in something other than God. Pride in, and you, could, you can fill in the blank. There's, there's a pride in because you're finding strength in something or you assume that there's strength in something else. Could be yourself. It could be in someone else. It could be in horses. Now, you know what? The, the, the Lord's scripture tells us that uh, having having faith or trust in horses, it's like us today having faith and trust in not the not in the Lord, but in our military, right? So in our military, in our government, in our family, even in our education, in so many other things, we can be proud of those things and put them in the place of God. Either way you look at it, it's still pride. Even a Christian can add, as the Israelites did, the worship of other gods to their worship of Yahweh, Almighty God. And that's what we have a tendency of doing. I point these things out because this was their downfall. This was the root cause of all of their problems. They had been experiencing oppression and they had been ruled by the Philistines for such a long time. But they were practicing idolatry, as we'll learn in a few moments. They were given to the ways of the world, you could say, to the ways of the Philistines. And we have a tendency to do that too. We need to be reminded of these things. You know, it's, it's God and the gods of the world, whatever that may be. It, it's we find, we, we find our trust and we put our, our trust in the Lord, but yet at the same time we put our trust and faith in other things and other people. And, and we can't do that. Our, our, we can't do that. Our our trust and our faith has to be completely in the Lord, and it should be revealed in the way we live our lives. As Samuel re-enters the scene with the Israelites, we will see what role he plays and how he influences the spiritual state of Israel. Remember the last time we heard from Samuel was when he held nothing back from communicating to Eli exactly what he had heard from the Lord would happen to Eli and his family in judgment. It says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. In chapter 3, verse 20. And then, at the beginning of chapter 4, it says, The word of Samuel came to all Israel. So, he was faithful to declare the word of God to all of Israel. And as we'll see, he served as, as Israel's judge 
sent and appointed by God to be that for the nation of Israel. And so let's begin. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1 says, And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eliezer to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, uh, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So we begin with where we left off last time, and that is that uh, the Ark of the Covenant had arrived in Beth Shemesh, sent by the Philistines on a cart pulled by two cows, two milk cows, who had calves that were left home. And, and so they, instead of going back and returning to where they were um, sent from, they, they went exactly where they should have gone, and that is back to the Israelites. And so um, now we're in that place. We know that uh, because the Israelites didn't handle uh, the Ark of the Covenant correctly, the Lord struck down 70 of the men and the people mourned. And they, they rightly mourned. And it was at this time that they called for the men of Kiriath-Jerim to come to Beth Shemesh and to retrieve the Ark of the Lord and to take it away. Well, as we see here, they did do just that. And they brought it to Kiriath-Jerim, to the house of a man named Abinadab. This time they were a bit more careful. They, they consecrated. They, they went through a whole ceremony of setting aside for the purpose of, of handling and serving the Lord, tending to the Ark of the Covenant, this man by the name of Eliezer. Uh, he was to have charge over the Ark of the Covenant he was to watch over it. He was to tend to it and serve the Lord in that very place. Now, they didn't bring it back to the tabernacle. They left it there, and they left it there for quite some time. I mean, 20 years. The ark of the Lord remained. The Israelites, and the reason why it, it, was, it remained there is because we see that they were in, in, in mourning. They were lamenting. They were uh, fearful of moving it. And we have to ask the question you know, why why were they so filled with fear that they didn't they refuse to move it well you think about some things here now they had been under the Phil, uh, under philistine rule for years remember that they had fought against the philistines and were beaten they thought they had a clear path to victory and they did not they lost the first battle as we've learned and then they lost many men the second battle and they even lost the ark of god uh, the, the Philistines had captured it. Their spirits were crushed. The people were in ruins. The cities were in ruins. And the Philistines had the ark of the Lord in their possession. They experienced loss after loss after loss. And to them, they just kept losing. But even though they had experienced defeat and losses, they failed to turn to the Lord. In the midst of all of this, the one thing that they failed to do is to consider who God is, consider where they were spiritually, and come to that place of repentance. Had they just come to a place of brokenness before the Lord, considered themselves and where they were, it would have served them well. But throughout this whole time, they simply mourned and they had the perspective of victims. They had that victim mentality. Woe is 
me. The whole world is against me. I'm just such a loser. You know, those are words that uh, just scream, I'm a victim, I'm a victim, I'm a victim. We need to always remember, as Christians, that a victim mentality is a mentality that is void of faith in God and trusting that He is working all things out for good. We are never victims, but rather always victorious in Christ. We need to always see that. We need to always remember that. No matter what we're going through, God is working something out in our lives to His glory. After all, what are we owed? Can we answer that? What are we owed? What do we deserve? Nothing. So whatever it is that we're faced with, we ought to always keep in mind that we live, we exist to glorify the Lord. So it's not about being a victim. It's not about being overwhelmed with so much that you just give up. You are frozen, paralyzed. You are not moving. You're not going anywhere. The righteous man, even though he falls, he, he, gets, he gets back up. He gets, why does he get back up? Because he, he's found strength in himself. He lifts his, himself up by his own bootstraps. Is, is that what it is? No. No. It's because he realizes that God is amazing. He's full of grace. He's merciful. And he desires that we get back up and continue to walk with him. Continue to walk with him. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. We are afflicted in every way. So he's not saying that we're not afflicted. So he, t- he tells the church in Corinth, we are afflicted in every way. Uh, but not crushed. Perplexed? Yeah. There are some things. Can we figure everything out? Do we have everything figured out? No, some things are just perplexing. They're, they're beyond my understanding. But we're not driven to despair. In other words, we're not to be driven to that point or allowed ourselves to be uh, driven to that point to where we lose all hope. Because our hope is in Christ. We're persecuted, but we're never forsaken. God never turns his back on us. Even though we're in the middle of being persecuted, hey, we cry victory. Why? Because God is with us. And he says he'll never leave us, never forsake us. And he is true to his word. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You see, he was victorious over sin and death. And so are we in Christ. And so we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and trust in him to get us through anything and everything. He is with us wherever we go, whatever situation we find ourselves in. He is always there. Remember that. So it's not having a victim mentality that that, uh, glorifies the Lord. It's having a victorious mentality. It's, it's having the mentality and an understanding of a perspective and, and that you're walking in truth, knowing that in Christ we are victorious. 
We are more than conquerors. But that's where they were for a long time. Verse 3, though, some, the tables start turning, though. This is what's wonderful here. I, I love this chapter. Verse 3, And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the balls and the Ashtaroth. And they served the Lord only. So, it was true. They did have God Almighty. And during this time, they were serving other gods. They even had them in their possessions, these little figurines and these items that proved that they were worshiping other gods. They had taken the gods of the Philistines as their own. The gods of the world became the gods of God's people. Samuel knew this, and it is implied here that the Israelites were finally ready after all of these years. After all of these years, they were finally ready to repent, to forsake and abandon their foreign gods. And serve, worship the Lord God Almighty exclusively. Just Him. They were ready to put all of their gods aside. Now we know that Samuel was a prophet. And he was also a a judge for Israel. And he preached repentance. He was faithful to the Lord. He he was faithful to, to preach to them the, the truth of God's word. Hey, listen, what you need to do is you need to repent at this very moment. You need to forsake all other gods. You need to serve the Lord exclusively. You need to come to repentance. You need to set yourself aside, apart from the world and unto the Lord. And Samuel pointed the people to God and was telling them that if, and this was conditional, this, is, this would serve us well. If they were really desiring, genuinely desiring to return to the Lord, then they had to completely give themselves to God. You know, a lot of people are, are playing with the Lord. You know, I don't know. Sometimes we don't reach. We think we reach, we've reached bottom, and we really haven't reached bottom. Because... What we want to do is we want to return to the Lord. For, for I've experienced this. I've, I was in times past, the, that prodigal son. I knew. I knew the Lord. I walked with him for some time. And I'm the one that turned my back on him. And, and I, like the Israelites, wanted to have God, but also the gods of the world. I wanted to kind of play with them as well. And, and if we want to truly have a relationship with God, we can put nothing and no one and no other God before Him. We need to worship Him exclusively, completely giving ourselves to Him and completely doing away with all of the other things, all of the, all the, the other gods that we're playing with. And a lot of people don't want to do that. And, and that's why a lot of people experience difficulties. Um, they lack peace. You know, I'm just not at peace. I'm just always like, there's something that's bothering me. Well, I can tell you that if you're not at peace, it's because you're not letting go of something. 
that you're putting in the place of God. Nine times out of ten, it's, it's not that you're being attacked by you know, the enemy. It's because you're allowing yourself to be preoccupied with other stuff, other things, other than God. That's why you're not at peace. And Samuel pointed the people to God. You know, a, a faithful friend is the one that would, will, will do that. We'll be very honest with you, and we'll just continually point you back to God. And we're telling them, hey, listen, if you are really genuine and, and really desire to return to the Lord, then you have to completely give yourselves to God. And that means turning away or forsaking all of the other gods you have accumulated. All of them. And serve and worship God exclusively. They couldn't believe in the gods of the Philistines to do certain things, and, and perhaps maybe the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to do the rest. Now, it just doesn't work that way. They were to put their complete faith in God. And Samuel told the Israelites that God would deliver them out of the hand of the Philistines, out of the, the hands of your enemies. God will deliver you. The other gods, they're not able to do that. Why? Because, you know, we talk about other gods, but really, is, is there, are there other gods? There is no other god. There are no other gods. It's, it's, our, uh, it's our imagination. These are gods that are created in our image. We make them to be what we want them to be for our own selfish reasons. But Samuel was telling him, hey, listen, God, Almighty God, He has the power to deliver you. Nothing and no one else. Sometimes, you know, we have certain things that we need to be delivered from. You have an anger problem. Um, Maybe you're bitter over some things that have happened throughout your life. Recent or not. It could be years ago that you're still holding on to and you're, and you're, you're just bitter. I just don't know how anyone can really let go of that. Do you have a lust problem? Do you find yourself being resentful? Is it materialism? You're always looking at other people's stuff, you know, and you wish you had it. How about pride? You're not not really humble. You can be prideful in so many things. You can even be prideful of your humility, and then you're just prideful. (laughs) I'm so humble. And then, of course, the obvious things, like dependence on drugs or alcohol or anything else. Well, I know by experience that the only, the only one that can deliver you from any of those things is the Lord, is God. And quite frankly, it's not a 12-step program. It's a one-step program. It's a complete surrender to Jesus Christ. A surrender to the Lordship of God is the only way you will possess what can deliver you from being in bondage to these things. You'll possess the covering of the Lord, and He is able. The reason why we are still in shackles to some of these things, and I'm talking about like bitterness and anger, and some of these things that, I don't know why, we're just stubborn. It's like, I, I, I just, I don't see, how can you do it? By the Spirit of God. We can't do it in the flesh. And you know, I always say, you know what Christianity is? It's simply doing this. I give up. 
I give up. And I give in. I trust in you, Lord, and I take you at your word. If you tell me that all of these things you desire to take away from me, I believe you. This resentment, this bitterness, this anger, all of these things, I just, I just give it to you. Let me just demonstrate the genuineness of my heart toward you by being obedient, come what may. It's surrender. That's what it is. We're always trying to do it in, in our strength. We can't do it. If you've tried, you know that. You can't do it in your strength. You have to do it by simply surrendering to the Lord and following him by faith. And so, as we see here, if the Israelites completely gave themselves to God, then, then it would reveal itself by their putting away of their gods. In other words, the internal reality will be known by the, their external actions. And so that's why you will know them by their, their fruits, right? By how they live their lives, you'll understand where their heart really is. And it's wonderful because the Israelites, they demonstrated an inward reality, something that had taken place in their hearts. The people put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. So it's beautiful. It's a moment of repentance, of genuine repentance before the Lord. In verse 4, we see it. And then verse 5, as we continue, it says, Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And so they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted, and fasted on that day and uh, said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. So, a few things here. Because this is a, this is a beautiful picture uh, of a repentant people. Uh, people who, who had humbled themselves. And a leader who is interceding on their behalf. Well, what, a, what a beautiful picture of fellowship there. Samuel had called on the nation to repent. And they responded. So, now that they're, they were genuine in their repentance, they were willing to listen. You see, you can tell when someone's, someone is genuine in their repentance, because what they'll do is, is you could be that Samuel for them. You know, someone who points to God and says, you know, what you're doing is sin. And when there's a genuineness, genuine brokenness in them, they too will fall on their knees and, they, and they, will, they will confess before God. And then you know what they'll do with you? They'll be willing to listen. Just, you know what, whatever you, you have for me, as far as God's word is concerned, give it to you. I'm, I'm willing to listen. I don't know much. So just, just tell me. So it's, that's why we have, we have a, a nice big chunk of responsibility to be our brother's keepers in that way, to give them the truth of God's word. And to lead them in righteousness. And so they were willing to listen. It says here that Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. 
And so as Samuel heard from the Lord, so he communicated and passed along to the Israelites. His leadership of Israel was one of serving as an ambassador of the Lord to the people. So he did not represent himself. He represented the Lord and he needed to be faithful to what the Lord sent him for and in what the Lord told him to speak to the people. And he was. He stood in the gap and he interceded in in prayer to God for the people. And they responded to God by drawing water and pouring it out. What is that all about? Right? Taking water and pouring it out. And they were pouring it out before the Lord. it's It's a beautiful picture, actually. They were no longer in mourning because they were victims in the land. They were now in this place broken and contrite before their holy and righteous God. They were sorrowful in heart. And that symbolized them pouring out their heart before God. There's no doubt that they were shedding tears before the Lord. And when a heart is truly humbled before the Lord... There are these tears and and not enough. This pouring out of water is just, we're pouring out our heart before you. That's what it symbolized. It was demonstrated not only in that, but in the fact that they denied the flesh. They they fasted. They, They were not eating. And then they did one other thing here. They confessed. They confessed. In 1 John 1, 9, It is written, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He desires to do that. But what we need to do is is confess. What, What confession is, is simply agreeing with him that that which we have done has been an offense toward him. We have missed the mark. And so we humble ourselves before him and and we confess, we agree, Lord, what I have done is an offense toward you and a breaking of the law. It's a breaking of your word. That's what it is. And when we do that and we ask for his forgiveness, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How can he do that? Well, we'll learn in a few moments how it is that he can do that because he's faithful and just. That means that something, someone had to pay for that sin. If we haven't. At this point, they were accepting full responsibility for their actions. I think that's something that we ought to teach our kids. Hey, listen, you need to be responsible for your actions. We need to teach them that. They need to learn that. We need to learn that. Because with, accepting, with us accepting full responsibility for our actions, we know that one way or the other, we're, we're either going to accept the consequences, the blessings that come because of our obedience, or the consequences of discipline because of our disobedience. One way or the other, we know that the law of sowing and reaping is true. That which we have sown, we will also reap. One way or the other. And so we know that to be true. But for them, they they were accepting full responsibility for their actions. They poured out their hearts before God, throwing themselves basically at the mercy of God. 
If we can confess that we have sinned against God and have offended Him, then we can confess to our fellow brethren that we have offended that person and ask for their forgiveness. But it first needs to be done with the Lord. If we can do that, if we can humble ourselves before the Lord, then we will have no problem doing that with each other. No problem whatsoever. But they did that. Something they hadn't done for a long time. Long time. In verse 7, as we continue, it says, Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. With this, those two verses combined. See, when we, we uh, continue moving on and we group them up properly, then we see, hey, this is, we need to rejoice over this. Yes, right? They're finally getting it, is what we're seeing here. They were fearful, yes. How many times are you fearful? You see something, it's like, wow, I'm, I'm fearful. Well, you haven't sinned just yet. You, you, can't, you could. It depends on what that fear drives you to do. What you decide to do in the midst of that fear. Because even though they were fearful, the Philistines had gathered together. It's like, oh, it's like, I, I don't want to go there again. I don't, I don't want to experience another, another loss. Well, they did the right thing. They were fe- fearful. And at that time, they ran to God. This time it was different. They ran to God. They asked Samuel to pray for them. And, and don't, and by the way, don't stop praying for us. Please pray. Seek the Lord. Pray. Don't stop. Please don't stop. The Philistines assembled against the Israelites when they heard they were all at Mizpah. Maybe, maybe they thought that, hey, all of Israel was there. We can take them all out in one fell swoop. Just one. They're all there. And of course, the Israelites should have been more confident in the Lord, right? We can, we can um, criticize them. What's, what's wrong with the Israelites? Have they not learned? Didn't they just repent and turn to the Lord? Why aren't they at this point expressing a, just a, a, a strong faith in the Lord? What's wrong with them? Well, like I said, any one of us in our moment of weakness can experience fear. But we can run to the Lord. We can't dismiss, we can't ignore the fact that they at least exercised the little faith they had. They did exercise that little faith that they had. They didn't run, did they? They could have ran, they didn't run. They asked for prayer and a petitioning of God to save them from the hand of the enemy. The little hope they had was what they were clinging to. A, A little bit with the Lord is enough. To help us through the most difficult of times. A little hope with the Lord. That was it. That's what they were clinging to. They were holding on to with everything they had. Even if, listen to this, even if it was through the faith of one man who is willing to stand in the gap for them. This is a great picture for us. We, we, can't, we can't lose this, this lesson here. This is a picture 
of what we are at times to our brothers or sisters in Christ. Those who are weak in their faith and they see insurmountable obstacles before them. When they ask us to pray, pray. Encourage them with the word of God. Point them to the one who can deliver them from difficult circumstances and the one who is their strength and their help in time of need. Point them to him, but pray for them. You you could be that one person that's standing in the gap and serve as that, that, that glimmer of hope, that strength. Oh, oh, you know, so-and-so, I know their faith, I know they're strong. Oh, if I can just have that. Well, you already are because you're not running from the situation. In fact, you're, you're looking to the Lord, and so you're exercising that little bit of faith that you have. You're, you're leaning on that. You're clinging to the Lord, even with your little bit of strength. Make sure you are faithful to the Lord by serving in laying down your life for others. In other words, setting yourself aside and giving yourself sacrificially to the benefit of others. What that means is that we're, we're esteeming others with more, giving them more value than ourselves. And that's what laying down our lives for others is. We covered that a bit with the women last night in their study in Titus chapter 3. And we need to learn to do that. Samuel not only prayed, but he also sacrificed on their behalf, as we'll continue. Verse 9 says, So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. As Samuel Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. So this, uh, as we continue, you know, Samuel is uh, not only praying, but he's sacrificing to the Lord. The picture of, of the sacrifice of a tender lamb for the people to serve as the substitutionary atonement for their sins after having confessed their sins, knowing that it was necessary. So Samuel came. And he offered this burnt offering to the Lord. And it was at that very moment, in the moment of sacrificing this lamb, that the enemy moved. And they came, the enemy came against the Israelites. And it was at that moment that God thundered. And he sent them into a state of confusion. They were, they were in a, a time of, of panic. They were overwhelmed. They couldn't think straight. And it says here that they were defeated by God. Before Israel, but they were defeated by God. You see, the Israelites deserved to die, but they didn't. What was offered in their place? The lamb. Jesus was offered in your place. Even though you were the one who deserved to pay for your own sins. I deserve to pay for my own sins. I, I, it would never be enough, though. Even though I died a thousand deaths, it would not be enough. Even though I suffered for a million years, it still wouldn't be enough. Why? Because I'm an imperfect sacrifice and always will be. 
so I could never atone for my own sins. There's never a penance that's enough. Never. That's why the Father had to send the Son to die on the cross for us, for our sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, God wished that none should perish, and he wishes that none should perish even now, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus' shed blood on the cross suffices. It, 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 it is enough to atone for our sins completely, past, present, and future. He is the perfect sacrifice. We come to salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and we know that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There's no forgiveness of sins. And so he is our sacrificial lamb. He's the one that was sacrificed on the cross on behalf of us. And we put our faith in him. It is the moment we come to faith in Jesus Christ that we too know victory in him over sin and death. For them, at that point, the little bit of faith that they had, they were God's people, but they turned, they repented, they confessed. They were, they were there with broken and contrite hearts before a holy and righteous God. And he, he accepted that sacrifice, that burnt offering on their behalf. And he was faithful. He demonstrated victory over their enemies before them. But it was God's victory, not theirs. It was God's victory. Uh, if you're, if you're um, John down some notes, write down Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 57. I, I want to read it, though, because we have um, victory in this way, in Christ. So Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 14 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Oh, the victory we have over sin. It no longer has the ruling power it once had in Christ doesn't have that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse uh, 54, chapter 15, verse 54 says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victorious. Victorious in Christ, but it was because of what he has done. And in Christ, not only have we died to our old, but we have come to know 
a new heart, a new desire in Christ. We are new creatures in Christ. Behold, the old has passed away. So we need to understand that. That the shed blood of Christ gives us victory over our enemies, which is sin and death. And so when, when God with the Israelites, when he had victory over the enemies, this was over the world. This is what the Philistines is a picture of. Egypt is also a picture of the world. And so with God, we have victory. The Israelites had victory over their enemies, the Philistines. Now, for Israel, they simply took back what the Lord gave them. At this point, they, 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 they saw what had happened with the Philistines. They pursued and struck the Philistines down. And it says they struck them as far as below Bethkar. So they chased them for a long distance and they struck them. But remember, the victory was God's already. And verse 12 says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. So Ebenezer, we've learned this previously, uh, means the stone of help. Uh, the Lord, just remember, the Lord is our rock and our ever-present help in time of trouble. Uh, and, and Samuel and the Israelites acknowledged that it was the Lord who had given them victory. And they memorialized that with the rock that they set up. It's good for us to remember those times, those moments, to where God gave us victory. Why? Because it gives us strength. It gives us, uh, you know, th- these memories of the Lord's faithfulness and how it is that he brings us through those difficult times. The land had been restored to Israel, and the Lord also gave them peace with the Amorites. The Lord gives us victory, but he also, in that victory, gives us peace. He gives us peace. What Israel never realized in compromise, they now realized when they humbled themselves before God and repented of their sins, pleading for mercy and forgiveness. And again, we go back to that one word. It's just surrender. A surrendered heart to the Lord giving of ourselves to him. It's interesting. In that surrender, we know victory. In that surrender, we know strength. We know power. We know a covering. We have everything, everything we need, things that we couldn't ever find in and of ourselves, we find in the Lord. We rest in that. We find peace in that. We know his power, his strength. The power of repentance and surrender before before God far exceeds what we can ever do in our own prideful efforts. In verse 15, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. So, Samuel served the people is what we see here. He did so faithfully. He traveled around ministering to them in the name of the Lord, giving godly counsel to the, to the situations that they found themselves in, encouraged them with the word. Uh, but he would always return to Ramah. Uh, he had built an altar to the Lord there, and an altar is there to sacrifice unto the Lord, to worship the Lord. 
And it's in that place that he would nurture his own relationship with the Lord. He came back and he would always come back to worship God. Now I want to close with this. Psalm 5117. It just underlines it. It just emphasizes this, this whole chapter. Psalm 5117 says this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In other words, he will never turn his back on a truly genuine, broken, and contrite heart before him. One that is humble, completely given to him. And so it is that we too find victory, we find peace, and we know God's strength when we surrender our lives to him in full repentance of whatever it is that we need to repent of. And simply give ourselves to him completely holy. Not allowing anything to get in the way. Any, any, anything that we put in, in place of him is an idol. And, and we ought to repent and do away with those and completely give, give ourselves to the Lord. And he's there to receive us with open arms. Amen? He is faithful. Father, we thank you, Lord, for loving us the way you do. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you at any given time. And your word tells us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you do not despise a broken and contrite heart. Lord, the moment we genuinely come to you in repentance and we ask for your forgiveness, you give it to us. And for that, we are truly thankful, Father. Help us to walk with you. Fill us with your spirit. Give us wisdom and, and, and discernment, Lord. Uh, give, give us, Lord, eyes to see, uh, Lord, as you see. Lord, uh, eyes that uh, are, are perhaps eyes that see uh, through the truth of your word. And, uh, and Lord, that we respond uh, in situations to your glory uh, with wisdom. Uh, fully knowing your word and applying it to our lives. And so, Lord, we, we, we thank you once more for this time teaching us and giving us understanding. In Jesus' name we pray.